and we're joined in studio now by the Fine Gael leader Antonish Leo Varadkar who's come to us following his party's Ardesh in Athlone last evening and just over three weeks before he becomes Taoiseach for a second time. Tonish, good afternoon. Welcome to the programme. Afternoon. Uh, you said at your Ardesh last night that you know that you need to do more on housing. Your party has been in power now for 11 years. You've had uh, a decade <coughs> or more than a decade to deal with this problem. When the homeless figures come out next Friday, uh, they're likely to show that we have around 11,000 homeless people in this country. Do you accept that your plan is failing? Um, I, I don't. Um, I, I think we've made a, a lot of progress um, with Housing for All um, uh, it, since its inception about two years ago. Um, if you look at, for example, our housing targets for this year, which is uh, to build about 25,000 new homes or more, um, we'll, we'll achieve that, we'll probably exceed it. Um, and if you look at the number of first-time buyers who are buying their first homes, as I said in my speech last night, um, 16,000 individuals, couples, families bought their first home in the past 12 months. That's more than any year in 15 years. So, um, and you know, these, these aren't statistics, these are these are real people. Um, I absolutely do appreciate though that when it comes to other things like like homelessness, that in particular is going in the, in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, and that is one aspect and, of the housing crisis and probably the most disturbing um, yes, aspect. And, ca- of and can, you, can you understand then why people might want Ono Bryn or somebody else to have a go when, you see, when they see that figure? Um, of course, I can understand it, but I don't think it's the case that most people want that to be want that to be the case. And uh, uh, as you know from uh, some of the polling data we saw in recent times, um, while um, Sinn Fein is doing well in the polls, um, the same people don't believe that they would actually solve the problem. Um, but you know that's not my focus. My focus is is on solving the problem because um, I am in government and I'm a leader of a party in government. And as I said last night. Uh, we need to turn the corner on housing over the course of the next two years. We haven't yet, and we need to implement and accelerate housing for all, which I think, which I think is a good plan. But I do need to be frank with people. You know, there are constraints here that aren't under the control of any government. Um, there's no lack of money being put in. A uh, four billion euro budget this year. We will struggle to spend it all, but we will spend. We'll get close to spending it all, I think. And um, there's no lack of political will here. And uh, we all know how important this issue is politically. There's no lack of care of compassion. The constraints we're up against are complicated things. There are rising interest rates, which are beyond our control. Uh, the availability of labour, the availability of materials like steel and timber, the cost of those supply chains. You know, there are things that are going to be a problem no matter who's in government. Um, but we have to try and uh, do the best we can, uh, regardless of the circumstances we're in. And you'll be you'll be Taoiseach again, as we mentioned, in just over three weeks' time. And you'll have two years in that job at the end of those two years will be will you be able to face the electorate and tell them that the housing crisis has been solved i think there's a difference in, in saying the housing crisis has been solved than um then we've turned the corner or we're in a better place like I, i'm not sure what what does turn the corner mean well, i I, th- I think things getting better is what it means you, you know I, i'm not you know you ask the question solved solved will mean different things to different people for the person who was on the housing list who has their house um, it's solved for the person who was struggling for you know years to try and buy a home uh, if they can buy their home it's solved but you know for other people it may not be solved so you know I, I think I think something like that is very definitive but certainly I'd like to be able to say to people that things are definitely going in the right direction that there are fewer people who are homeless for example that um, more and more first time buyers um, are able to buy their home that home ownership is increasing again uh, you know they're the kind of I mean, you know, things, it, it, things so in two be. years time what level of homelessness would you expect to have uh, it, it, that, that, that there would be at that point 
It's it's impossible to put a figure on it. You know, homelessness is a really uh, sad phenomenon. Um, it's a stain in our society. Um, um, uh, but it's also a complex social problem. It's it's uh, and you understand this as much as I do. It's not as simple as uh, as as the non non availability of housing. There's lots of factors at play. Um, it can involve, um, for example, uh, mental health issues. It can involve uh, addiction. It can involve people who have been provided social housing but are unable to hold on to their tenancy for all sorts of different reasons. It involves family breakup. That's often a, a factor behind it, um, where there is a house but the family is broken up and. Um, one person has the house and the other person doesn't. Uh, increasingly, we're seeing in recent months um, a large number of international homelessness, people coming from abroad who are presenting to home, homeless services. If it was as simple as building houses, it would have been, been solved long ago. We build more than enough, enough houses um, uh, to, to cover people, a number of households who are homeless. But it's not It's not just about that. And I think people appreciate that and understand it. The, the one thing I think that makes a big difference is, is the Housing First programme. Uh, and that is a whole system of uh, supported tenancies and wraparound supports um, that really identifies that a lot of people who suffer from homelessness have complex needs. And the first and most important thing is to provide them with, with a home and shelter. But you need to do all the other things as well or they won't be able to hold on to the home or apartment that they're provided with. Your, your party last night uh, voted to end the uh, the triple lock system, uh, which is in place mm. before Irish troops can be sent abroad. Um, that system requires a, a UN mandate and that's the bit of the triple lock that your party has voted uh, to, to remove. That, that would, according to many people, erode Ireland's neutrality. Um, is that something that your party will push now in government? Well, first of all, in my view, Ireland is militarily neutral. We're not politically neutral. Um, for example, when it comes to this war in Ukraine, um, we're fully on the side of Ukraine, uh, a democratic, independent, sovereign uh, European country that's been invaded. How could you be neutral um, in a war like that? Uh, we are militarily neutral in the sense that we're not a member of any military alliance. We're not in NATO and we're not proposing to join NATO, but we do believe in greater European um, military and security cooperation and that is uh, something we're going to continue to pursue. Uh, on the triple lock specifically, um, I only see us pursuing that in government if the issue actually arises. Um, and it's worth explaining this perhaps to, to your listeners. Um, neutrality is around since the 30s in, in Ireland. The Triple Lock is quite recent. It's only around in the past 20 years. And what it says that Irish troops can only participate in a mission abroad um, if the Dáil supports it, which we agree with, the government supports it, which we agree with, and the third requirement is a UN mandate. But that gives Russia a veto power. So say, for example, there was a European mission uh, that wanted to... Uh, provide peacekeeping in some part of the world and Russia decided they didn't like that. We would then be bound by Russian foreign policy. That's not right, in my view, that a sovereign country like Ireland should allow a country like Russia to veto a decision by us to participate in a peacekeeping mission that we want to. So let's say, for example, Russia decided to veto UNIFIL, um, the mission that we've been part of in Lebanon for a very long time. We would have to leave that. That's not right, but 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 the issue, the point at which I think it, it would become something we would press in government, is when it actually arises a practical issue. We're not just going to and, seek and, a change and for the sake of it. Would you expect that your your government partners, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party, would support that position? And that's really my point. Um, at the moment, it's a theoretical position. Um, I think that if a practical issue arose in that scenario, they would. About it then. And, and that's, 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 when, that's when I think you deal with these things. All right, I want to ask you about uh, cost of living uh, pressures that are on people. Um, the decision of, of Transport Infrastructure Ireland to increase road tolls, 
that will affect the cost of doing business, the cost of hauling goods, the cost of commuting for many people who can't afford to live in uh, cities. Are you going to ask uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland to reverse that decision? Well, something we have to discuss with the Minister for Transport. Um, as you know, he's been in Sharm el-Sheikh working on uh, the climate agreement there. It's been very busy, so the Taoiseach and I haven't had a chance to... There's confusion over whether the government even knew about this decision, did it? Uh, there was no memo to government, uh, so the government didn't. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's as I understand it, the Minister for Transport's office was aware, um, but uh, there was no memo uh, to government, so government wasn't aware. Right. But if his office was aware, and, and it seems like a, a big enough decision at a time when you're trying, or have been trying in your budget to reduce costs mm. for people, this is a, a, um, a big increase for people who commute every day. Um, it, it's not a government decision, as you know. It's a decision for Transport Infrastructure Ireland, which I suppose is why it didn't come to government. Um, but I'm not happy with it. Um, it's unwelcome. As the Taoiseach said, it's coming at a really bad time. Um, I know TAI will argue that there's been no increase for um, nine years and that uh, the cost of road maintenance has gone up and that's where the money goes. It is it is ring-fenced for roads. It doesn't go into the general exchequer um, and that they need the additional money. But I think it's coming at a really bad time with petrol and diesel prices being really high. Um, I represent a commuter constituency with huge yes. numbers of people crossing that toll bridge every day in both directions. Um, so, you know, I'd like to see us sit down. Um, and with, uh, to, to what aim? Um, to, to see if it's possible to uh, either reduce the increase or defer it for a period of time. Um, but, you know, before I can explore options, I really would need to sit down with the Minister for Transport and TII before doing that. Uh, as I understand it, um, what they've done is they've inc- they're posing an increase in what is called the maximum toll. Yes. They're not obliged to charge the maximum toll. So there may be some room for flexibility. Um, but we would have to find the money for road maintenance elsewhere. So we just have to look at that and work on that over the next couple of weeks before it kicks in in January. We've seen um, job losses announced in several technology companies uh, which have operations here in Ireland. Are there likely to be more job losses in the tech sector here in the coming months? Uh, yes, we have no specific indications from any companies um, of further job losses, um, but we do expect them. Um, it is... Uh, an international sector. It's, this is by no means particular to Ireland, as people will appreciate. Uh, it's a sector that has expanded very dramatically in the last couple of years. Some companies have doubled their staff in one or two years, and now it is um, retreating uh, a bit. Um, what we're seeing so far, with the exception of Twitter, uh, is um, job losses in the region of, of 5 to 15%. So it's certainly not, not a, a tech collapse or a bubble bursting or any of those kind of things uh, that people write about sometimes, um, but it is a matter of concern. Um, And obviously our main concern is for the people who are being made redundant. Um, A lot of them are highly skilled, they will get jobs elsewhere, but I want to assure them that government is on their side. Um, We're here to help you with job search, to find a new job. Um, If you think you might like to set up your own business, um, we can help with that too. We can also help with education or training. And I just want to give people uh, who are being affected that assurance we're going into Christmas. Not a nice time to get a redundancy notice and uh, I want people to know the government are on their side. Are you concerned that Ireland will follow Britain into recession given that Britain is our second biggest trading partner and and has announced uh, that they are now in recession? Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, the UK is our nearest neighbour, major um, trading partner, but our economy has decoupled from theirs a long time ago. And the fact that they are in recession uh, doesn't mean that we will. Um, We are going to see a significant slowdown in growth next year. 
we built the budget back in September on 0.5% GDP growth next year. So we anticipated uh, a very significant slowdown. Um, but still, the European Commission, IBEC and others are still talking about 2 or 3% growth for Ireland next year. So um, I don't think Britain will pull us into recession. Um, but this is a rapidly changing environment and there's a lot of economic uncertainty out there. Um, and I think now is a time for uh, sensible politics, for cool heads in government, for... Um, uh, cautious decision making but also resilience and we've built that in you know the reason why we put money into that reserve fund the reason why we have all those contingency funds the reason why we built the budget on very conservative projections for growth next year uh, was because we want to have the resilience um, you know that we can uh, weather a recession if it does happen without having to um, increase taxes or cut back spending or do any of those kind of things we want to avoid I want to ask you, uh, Tanisha, about an issue which has dominated public debate uh, for the last fortnight, uh, the abuse of children in schools run by the Spiritans. The Taoiseach has confirmed now that there will be uh, an inquiry set up. Do you favour a statutory inquiry which would have powers to compel witnesses, powers to obtain documents from the clergy? Just first of all, I, I um, had the opportunity to listen to the radio documentary just um, just last Monday and uh, really want to pay tribute to the uh, survivors and others who took part in that. It was, was truly compelling. Um, and um, I think the fact that we're going to have an inquiry is appropriate. Um, it is important to get the form of the inquiry correct. And the best thing we need to do now, and the teacher contends to do this, uh, is to sit down with the opposition parties and also meet with the survivors um, and hear from them and talk through with them what the different options are. Um, because very often inquiries can leave people very disappointed at the end. Um, the advantage of a non-statutory statutory inquiry like the Scali inquiry, for example, is that it can be very survivor focused, uh, can be done in a year or so but can't actually compel documents or compel witnesses and make findings a fact. And that's the downside. Um, that, that's, that surely would be required here in yeah. a situation where where uh, religious orders have a history of secrecy that you need the documents. It, it, it might be required, but I think a lot of that will depend on the willingness of the Spiritans to cooperate. And they may, may, may well be willing to cooperate fully and, you know, that they, they have shown... And do you think then that it should be confined to the Spiritans or, as Ivana Batchik has suggested, um, uh, and in fact says it's necessary that, that, is, that it's wider than the Spiritans, that it, it, it should include other orders, other religious orders and other schools? I think, I think it could be done in different modules. Um, you know, the most important thing here uh, is that we listen to uh, the views of the survivors and that um, this inquiry is done um, with their interests in mind. Mm. Um, you know, I, I know, having been in government for a while now, I know a bit about about inquiries. And yes, but just on that question, could, could this then, are you suggesting that this inquiry may be wider than just the Spiritans? What I would like to avoid is a highly legalistic um in private statutory uh, investigation um, that is so wide ranging um, and involves so many lawyers that it doesn't report for five or six years. And that is a risk. 
Um, but it's not what I want, actually, that matters. Uh, what matters is what the survivors think, and we need to engage with them um, and run through with them all the different options so that they understand the pros and cons of the different options. And having done that, uh, then we should determine the best form of inquiry in terms of reference. I don't think it's for me to prescribe here in this studio what the right way forward is, but there's no perfect inquiry, there's no perfect option, and I think it's important we engage with the survivors and go through with them what the pros and cons of the different models are. Right. Uh, I want to ask you about um, the, the situation that, that emerged this week where Russia has put you and 51 other Irish politicians on a blacklist. Uh, we know the government isn't going to expel the Russian ambassador. You've made that clear. But what about what Lucinda Creighton suggests in the Business Post today, that you could dramatically cut the number of diplomats in the Russian embassy, uh, leaving only the ambassador, a deputy and, and another official? And that would, as she puts it, stop Ireland being uh, played for a fool in respect of the activity that's going on in that embassy? Well, you know, the reason why we have um, an embassy and an ambassador in Moscow is not for their benefit. It's, first of all, to protect our citizens who are there. And we have citizens, Irish citizens in Russia. Often they come from mixed Irish-Russian families. Um, and we do and we do want to be able to keep lines of communication open with the Russian government. Um, even countries that are, yes. wa- are, are at war still exchange ambassadors and we're not at war at Russia. Um, the difficulty, and I discussed with the Minister for Foreign Affairs here the other day, uh, is that let's say, for example, we were to scale down the Russian embassy by five or by 10 or by 15, and they do, do quite a large embassy here, as you know, um, they may decide to do the same, which would actually result in the closure of our embassy. It's not it's not done in percentages, it's done in raw numbers. So Your colleague Neil Richmond says close it, we don't need it. Yeah, we, we, we think differently. Um, we think it is important to have a line of communications open with uh, Moscow, with the Kremlin. Um, sooner or later, um, people need to talk. And secondly, okay. we do have Irish citizens there on the ground. And it's not as simple as us scaling our embassy down but, to... So are you going to take any action in, in Orwell Road then? Are you going to scale back the number of diplomats there at all? Well, that's yet to be determined. But if we do it, it's not going to be on the basis of this propaganda nonsense of their list okay. of 52 people. It'll be based on a security assessment uh, as to whether uh, certain diplomats um, shouldn't be here anymore. Final couple of questions just on the... Um, the, the uh, the changeover where you'll become Taoiseach in a, in a couple of weeks' time, um, the switch will inte- necessitate a, a cabinet reshuffle. Is Fine Gael looking for the Department of Agriculture back? We haven't um, sought any department at this stage. Um, the three party leaders have agreed that we'll talk about this um, closer to the changeover date. And at that time, we'll have a chance to talk about different uh, ministries and uh, which party will hold what. But... Um, we haven't sought any uh, haven't sought any department that we don't currently hold at the moment. Okay. You praised the current Taoiseach Micheál Martin in your speech last night um, but he has shot down a proposal uh, from you for a voting pact at the next election. Do you think that he's leaving the door open for uh, going into government with Sinn Féin in the future? Look, I think that's a question that you'll have to have to ask him. I, I think what it's... Do you think? Not going to speak for him. Um, I, I do think, by the way, it is premature to make any decision on voting packs at this stage, but I don't think it's something that we should be afraid to to talk about. And I can only talk about my party. Um, and certainly if this government lasts, and I believe it will, uh, and if it uh, um, ends, uh, ends well and doesn't break up, um, then I think uh, it makes sense that the proposal that my party would put to the people is that if you vote for us, uh, we will seek to put together um, a government again uh, with the same partners uh, and people we've worked with in the past. And we're making very clear that um, a Sinn Féin government isn't something that we could participate in. Other parties are absolutely free to 
have their own strategy and have their own position on that and I respect that. Tanishta and Fine Grey leader Leo Varadkar, thank you for coming in to talk to us today.